Radio. This is your host, Abigail Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome. Welcome. We're finally back together. I'm in Oakland. We're hanging out, doing a special edition of Media Roots Radio in person. Um, apologize for the long delay between these episodes. Really hard to get them done, but we're back in full effect. Got my setup. Let's get it. Let's get it going. Um, let's start just by bringing up all of the current events that we haven't really been able to comment on. If people haven't been watching the breaking this set um, and kind of have fallen off of the news, uh, daily news intake, let me fill you in on some of the craziest shit that's been going down in the last couple months. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a drone blew up a wedding party in Yemen, killing, I think, 17 human beings because, quote, Al-Qaeda was in the convoy. Of course, later turned out to be totally false. And there was barely a peep about it on the mainstream media. What a shock. Um, you know, it's just amazing. It, just picture if Yemen blew up something in this country or Iran or pretty much any other country. We'd probably be World War III right now. Someone blew up just a wedding party and killed 17 Americans. I mean, that's insane. It is insane. <laughs> and I just can't believe that people still buy the idea that al-qaeda is somehow even remotely legitimate and it's some kind of enemy i mean it's just so obvious at this point that even though obama doesn't use the phrase the war on terror or you know he doesn't push the propaganda as hard you know most of that propaganda is still being pushed by like right-wing radio type people fox news but the core the meaningful aspect of what the war on terror does is still in full effect. And it's like whatever function it served Bush or whoever was like Bush's overlords were is still serving the exact same function. Now it's basically giving us an excuse to attack anywhere that we would have already wanted to attack before, but now it just gives us like a quasi, you know, reason for going in there. Continuing the carte blanche machine, like just this Avenue that's been paved out in the world that just gives the U S government this exceptional yeah. reinforcement. Hey guys, remember we're the policemen of the world. And hey, remember nine eleven? Remember nine eleven? Remember nine eleven? Remember nine eleven? <laughs> yeah. Remember? The, only, <laughs> the only benefit of the doubt I can possibly give the U.S. government for continuing like these kind of drone strikes is that this is the best case scenario. If you believe them that they're doing it for like our safety right. or American safety, like let's just assume that that's true, which it's probably not. But it's it's like imagine the spying capabilities they have and the way they've been conducting the drone war and all that stuff where they can like find people from the sky you know and find out wh what their behavior and activities are combined with all the metadata and nsa like phone tracking stuff then you know if this is for our own safety i feel like the they are basically just trying to eliminate anybody that could even pose a potential future in the threat future to us. right like in the same if you use anwar alaki Al as a model what i'm talking about that's like the only case where we can say that yes this person was advocating for violence against the united states but he never actually posed a physical threat or actually actively planned any sort of attack against the united states ever it was just like he was like a very radical you know advocated violence and jihad yeah, no, well, that first of all, I completely don't believe that that's what they're trying to do, because if anyone looks at drone strikes immediately in the wake of this wedding bombing, people were already sympathizing with Al-Qaeda or whatever, mm -hmm. Islamic extremism, quote unquote, in the region. And they were saying, this is insane. Of course, now we all hate America even more. All right. So really, that's, that, that argument is just so 
irrelevant on its face. But if you did believe that, then that really just goes along with the whole Bush doctrine that was implemented right after 9-11, where you, you, know, you preemptively invade or do whatever the fuck you want to anyone and anywhere because you think that they may be a threat in the future. And that's somehow justified militarily. It's yeah. just... It's completely erroneous. Right. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. We're assuming that these people don't know what we do, which is that drones pretty Mm -hmm. much only cause anti-American sentiment and create more and harbor more extremism against the countries that are blowing them up and blowing their families up. It's very simple. Yeah. I mean, X, you know, plus Y equals Z. I mean, I don't really know what else to say about the drone thing other than we really need to stand up and, and fight back. But I'm worried now that, you know, Amazon delivery drones are in the near future. And once those are flying everywhere, and once there's just thousands of drones. You think that's real? Absolutely. No, that, that is what's going to happen. I, th- I, I was, when I watched that video, I thought it was just a really clever, I mean, they might actually be planning to do that like in the future, but it seemed like a total publicity stunt. It was to a me. publicity stunt. No, I think I think it is a publicity stunt, but I do think that we will have delivery drones. I mean, it's just a natural evolution of technology. Kind of, I, I mean, th- delivery, but delivery drones would require like, if if people were allowed to pilot their own drones like that regularly, I feel like they would have to change like air travel laws and stuff. Okay, let's say it, it's going to have to be it, like a far like I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. No, That's I think by twenty twenty is what they said. I think by twenty twenty is when we're going to see a massive amount of just drones, private private uh, privately owned drones. Businesses are going to. I mean, everyone is going to have a drone, and I think that we will see regulations. The FAA already allowed this to be plan for the future i don't really know what the delivery drone thing but i guess my point is once we have drones flying everywhere what's that going to do the psyche of the american people about surveillance about privacy when yeah. when already i mean it's going to be so kind of indoctrinated at that point where people aren't even going to think about government surveillance when you just have private drones flying everywhere it's just very yeah. it's well, a scary thought kind of and i don't even think that's i mean obviously that's always a tactic of theirs to use um anything they can to make us afraid to like step out of line you know but i feel like the u.s government has been doing i mean they've literally had signs on the freeway since i was a kid that said like uh aircraft monitoring speed where like you're like oh my god there's like a plane like a police plane flying in the sky that's like with a radar detector and apparently sometimes they there's actually planes that do this i don't even know if that's really true but like they've tried to basically limit people's speed by like scaring them about not drones but aircraft in the sky watching you know watching you yeah it's almost like just knowing that there is would make you i mean you don't even have to see it it's like just the sign alone yeah it's like the chilling effect it's like it will chill you into not speeding yeah it's like the chilling effect in the back in the 1950s was like you drive by like one of those you know land mounted billboards you're like oh my god there might be a cop behind there i better slow down right we drive past it but then like by the time the 70s kicked in then you start seeing those signs (laughs) that say like air you know aircraft monitoring speed and then now it's just like they don't even have to, to put up signs that you know in pakistan saying be careful there's drones up above it's just <laughs> like it can just completely well known like it doesn't need, even need advertising or promotion it's like the fear and the chilling effect is in the delivery method itself there's no need to like warn or tell people it's like and even it's if such there an were effective a warning. chilling effect just of what it is and even if there were warning you wouldn't matter because drones come so fast and so hard that like your grandma will get blown up in front of you and you're like oh fuck what just happened i mean that's how drones work like you don't have time to get out of the way no i mean if i mean 
I've watched, you know, I watch a lot of those Iraqi and Afghanistan war, like Apache helicopter attack videos. And if, you know, if you think about how high in the air a drone is, is in the air, it's a plane basically. So it flies like a high altitude compared to an Apache helicopter. A lot of the times in these videos, the helicopters themselves are flying relatively close to the people they're about to shoot and they don't even notice them in the air until they start shooting at them. So like, I mean, I can't even imagine how much of a crazy surprise it would be to like, you know, you probably the the last thing you hear is like the the whoosh of the missile being fired off. I mean, that's like the first warning sign you hear. You don't even see anything until your grandma's head is sitting on the ground yeah. next to you. Um, another really f- crazy thing is this glitter terrorism hoax thing. Um, not a hoax. <laughs> it was <laughs> what these activists were charged with. These two anti-fracking activists who went to this convention to protest fracking. And while they were there, uh, they unveiled this this huge banner with like black glitter on it or something like that. And, um, you know, being in the two-tiered justice system that we are, of course, the government doesn't care about the fact that a study just came out proving that hydraulic fracturing not only causes um, earthquakes, by the way, like that's like known now, but it, but also the fluid that they use to like excavate the natural gas causes birth defects, infertility, and cancer. So instead of caring about these horribly damning facts that we're learning slowly about this process, instead of caring about that, they charged these two activists, two poor activists, with a terrorism hoax. Terrorism hoax because they said it looked like a biochemical weapon with the glitter. So they care more about glitter bombs than they do about, you know, cancer-causing agents and and horrible damage to the earth and i'm really just getting fucking sick of these egregious crimes against humanity and the environment being justified by a meaningless word terrorism is so meaningless now it makes me sick that this is what we're seeing happen no matter if it's these anti-fracking activists or drone bombing yemenis on their way to a wedding i mean when is this going to end or or like crazy stalker like type people like you know apparently if these rice and letters were real that got sent to the white house it was like it turned out to be some like weird like hyper obama fan but they called them a terrorist for so long that it doesn't even matter when it's like revealed who really did it yeah, and also, and also this huge other corporate espionage thing. I just had Nafiz Ahmed on breaking the set to talk about this new study for the Center by Corporate Center for Corporate Policy, excuse me, and they came out with this very in-depth study about the major corporations that control the planet right now. Because let's be real, that's who controls everything: corporatocracy. Hello. Um, so these corporations have been so aggressively infiltrating global activism. When you look at the numbers and what the tactics that these corporations are doing, it is absolutely mind blowing. I mean, we think, you know, we think in terms of government surveillance, but really the corporate espionage that's going on is just unbelievable. And as you're seeing more of the NSA leaks come out kind of justifying that these leaks are are exposing such a deep underbelly of corporate espionage. It's almost like beyond just political control. It really goes beyond that, and you're seeing corporate control and knowledge and, and influence with the leaks, and that's what's really scary. Is it's kind of showing who they've all who it's really benefited all the spying. You know, it's not just who we think it is, which is government control. Anyway, so the study basically said one out of every four activists could be a corporate spy because that's how well infiltrated they are, and that's how deep this goes. And uh, it brings me to this one. 
crazy story of wait, when wait, I ran wait. an anti-war group, huh? Can I? Yeah, before yeah. Before you launch into this yeah, story, yeah, yeah. because Go that's that's going to be. I mean, I want we need people to pay attention to that story because it's very important. But you were talking about the levels of corporate corporate espionage, and and I think you're you're referring to like basically the corporations utilizing actual government agencies like secret government agencies to yes. do things for them fbi and intelligence agencies will moonlight their services to corporations and infiltrate groups and pose as activists and you know frame blackmail dig through dumpsters uh totally infiltrate the group um and, and we're talking about pretty much activists who are obviously threatening corporations bottom line well it's it's crazy to think that you know that that sounds like you know that's that's something that you would assume happens behind the scenes, especially because of like uh, Smedler Butley's mm-hmm. like World War Two revelations. You know that he basically says he was just like a soldier Smedley of fortune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like a soldier of fortune, basically for corporate interests. Like even during the battles of World War Two, like they would position the aircraft carriers in places to protect like you know certain shipping channels of goods and stuff like that, and not because for like protecting people or waging war. It was because like the corporate money infrastructure was in danger. You know, a Absolutely. lot of like our resources in World War Two were used for that. But the, here's cr- the crazy thing: there's this awesome bookstore in um, in Portland. Um, is it called Pals? Pals. Or what? Is what's the bookstore in Portland called? The giant one. Pals. Okay. That's a great. If anybody's story. in Portland, go to Pals Books. It's an amazing used bookstore. They have new books too, but their political book section is insane. I mean, like they have every a book on like any political subject you can imagine and what's crazy is there's there's a book written in the 70s called spooks and i it caught my eye because it said something about like corporations Mm -hmm. on the front and this is the little forward to the book spooks proves the private use of secret agents hold on a second I think I think you would like this book. Spooks probes the private use of secret agents by multinational corporations, the politically powerful and the rich. Since the beginning of the American intelligence community, literally thousands of spies have left federal employment to work for those industries. IBM, ITT, Ford, McDonald's, and those individuals that are wealthy enough to afford them. And this is just, I mean, this is mostly just talking about like privatized ex-government employees. And think about it, this was in the 70s. This is in the 70s. Unbelievable. And, and now... Corporations are even more powerful than they were in the 70s. These same corporations, Ford, IBM. So it only it makes perfect sense why the the dis, like distinguishing between the two and their interests would would uh, coalesce in such a way where they would the government would actually be doing the bidding of corporations. I mean, it's 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 not like a conspiracy theory or like a, no. It's a, it's know. the most open, blatant conspiracy there is. I love how you said IBM too, because of course we know who really profited from the Nazi regime. Well, they, and the U.S. The ones government who came up allowed. The, yeah, the U.S. government totally allowed all of these corporations to be benefiting from the Holocaust, and also totally knowledgeable about what was going on the whole time. Yeah, do you, have you do you know the specifics about what IBM? Was it that they were doing the barcodes of the? Well, they were. Yeah, they were doing like the cataloging system, and I hope that they're proud of that. Punch cards. I hope they're proud of that. Yeah, great. I mean, every corporation has has blood on its hands. You know, I mean, even Coca Cola. I mean, like they they basically like took over. You know, certain like Coca, uh, you know, plantations and like indigenous, you know, third world areas. So. 
And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like pretty much any corporation that's been around since the industrial revolution, most likely is in, has been involved in some kind of murder or kidnapping, slave labor. I mean, it's like it's not at all uncommon. It's actually more the more common than uncommon. And guess what? There's barely any penalties for them. Yeah. Their penalty is loss of profit to them. Yeah. So if they get slapped with a couple hundred G or even a hundred million, mm-hmm. couple hundred million, that's nothing. It's and I nothing. love it too how we sit here in America and chastise all these other countries that have lax, you know, human rights laws and, and things are done through bribery like you were describing in Africa. But it's like, think about it. The corporations that operate there, they wouldn't be able to do this shit, this shit that they do if these countries actually had like functioning justice systems and like real like laws to protect people. So it's almost like it's it's like this hilarious like circular logic where you know America chastises all these other countries but if you really look at it the countries that we chastise the most are the ones that don't just relent to corporate will like Iran or you know other or, or like Syria Libya Syria yeah that they have Cuba. their own isolated trading within certain like a certain bubble that's that, just a coincidence yeah. Robbie it's, that it just, just happens to be where all the terrorists are it's just are. so fascinating <laughs> to me how people you know, even these scholars who write about Al Qaeda and stuff, they don't. It's like, look at the fucking bigger picture. It's like, don't you see that it's not a coincidence <laughs> that every single country that we go after? I mean, look at Cuba. We're still like super antagonistic with them. And like, they pose zero threat to us. <laughs> I just tried to go to Cuba and I didn't even get my visa approved, by the way, because of we have some stupid sanctions now on Cuba for American journalists. It's like, great. I'm glad that you're preventing me from going to this country. Because of what again? Because of a fucking grudge from the Cold War. It's how like, do you, great, good job, you guys. So Thank how you. does one go there? You how have did, to go through other countries, and I could go easily if I wasn't going established through like an, a news agency. You were here. just trying to go the most direct. I was going possible. to try, yeah. yeah. And, and it's just so outlandish. I can't even describe how ridiculous it is. Um, and I wanted to mention one more thing because I kind of said this a couple of weeks ago when I found out about, you know, all these corporations who are conducting this egregious, these egregious crimes and all this espionage. And then I, Nafiz Ahmed wrote this great piece for the guardian where he was saying the same corporations that are pretty much doing this are also responsible for about three quarters of the climate change catastrophe that we're facing right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm just so disgusted of the utter impunity for these corporations. As you said, a lot of them are like American based. We've, this country has allowed these corporations to foster and grow. And then of course they outsource these other countries and commit all these horrendous human rights abuses. Like who's gonna hold them accountable? No, and if you think about it, that the UN itself and like the post-World War II era with basically all the winners at the table, America, the UK, and Russia. But I mean, Russia was not part of this at the time, but like that's basically when the world turned towards and basically gave all the power to corporations. I mean, if they weren't powerful enough already, you know, the railroad tycoons, Mm -hmm. the oil men at the turn of the century. I mean, at post-World War II, it was pretty much we gave all power to corporations. I mean, because... In essence, I mean, they we, we rely on them to like function as we do, like for our growth and stuff. So, we, I don't think the U.S. government saw it as any sort of fascism or whatever, because that part of fascism that Hitler did, you know, it probably made a lot of sense at the time from like a 
just like a, a functional, practical point of view of like how to conduct government. Well, you, you know? see how Greece is going now. They're kind of going the more fascistic route because the, it's the same kind of climate, this total economic despair. And you have these this galvanized unit of fascists and it's called the Golden Dawn and they're gaining a lot of notoriety. And that's just the climate, the political climate that evolves from a period like that, like of almost near collapse, totally. Um, and for the people who are listening to this and saying, oh, how have egregious crimes committed against the environment in the name of terrorism? Well, let me just remind everyone that the Department of Defense is the biggest polluter on the planet and and that they're exempt from all climate treaties. Did you know that? All international no. climate treaties, the <laughs> Pentagon is totally exempt oh from. That's God. like in the writing. Well. So that's just a side note. Um, but let's t I, I can't help but mention this also because it's just outrageous. Um, you know, of course, all the things that we're talking about with corporations, um, the two-tiered justice system, you know, Chevron suing the Amazon, uh, fracking companies suing the fracking victims. There's just so much of this going on. But I have to mention this one thing, how, um, God damn, what was, what was the publication? Some huge establishment publication, like Vanity Fair or something like that, or something, you know, basically wrote was writing about the contra cocaine cia conspiracy and said that it's the biggest conspiracy theory of the 20 or like of the last two decades and so i did this whole segment about how amazing it is that this is an admitted fact like it's historically documented that the cia was running cocaine mm -hmm. um and helping these international drug lords in nicaragua during this whole controversy and it's just incredible that to this day you have mainstream publications dismissing it as a conspiracy theory it just adds to that whole mm -hmm. you know that whole narrative because it gets mixed in with again it's one of those things that got mixed together with disinformation like right the th it's it's almost like mixed it's almost of the same vein of like the, the idea that like aids was created to like kill black people or something like when you hear people say that you know the cia put crack in the ghettos that's not what happened it's actually a lot more complex and a lot more global than that i mean we used proxies you know the cia used the black market for black budget shit and that's as basically as simple as it gets. Like the reason why we were, it's not because like the CIA loves drugs and they like doing drugs. I'm <laughs> sure some of them do. It's because the black market has no bookkeeping and no taxing, taxing and no law. So therefore we can sell drugs and illegal goods and weapons and, and make money off of that, especially in countries where people thrive off of that. And you can trade armies for, you know, 20,000 kilos of cocaine and you can yeah. get a fucking trained when you army need for drug that. lords on your side yeah. to fight guerrilla wars and a lot, of, yeah, and a lot of the time that's the thing it's like the people who are armed especially like in places like africa and south america that's that's how they raise money mm -hmm. just like it's like a mini version of the cia i mean it's it just all it all comes around i mean like so yeah it is it is funny to me when it's it's like people don't understand that's just the nature of the way the u.s military has worked since probably you know b before vietnam i'm sure you know you know i i had a friend who served in iraq and he was telling me that the only reason that the death count like went down during the truth troop withdrawals because the u.s military was actually paying the insurgents to not kill them 
so they could like have like a nice withdrawal where it seemed like wow. the war was like phasing down. I was like, excuse me? There's like paying <laughs> off all like, <laughs> it's like, hey, don't, we'll pay you like an enormous amount of money to just not hurt us. So it looks to the world like everything's good. And then of course, you know, the state of Iraq now, it's almost a failed state completely. Yeah. There's car bombings, suicide bombings going off. Every week I wake up to the news, 30 dead in Iraq, 40 dead in Iraq. I'm just like, this is insane. Just completely abandoned. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people over there just still doing shit, but. Yeah, you know, of mean, course. Um, uh, and then uh, I just, oh, I was wanted just to mention, throw in there. Yeah, go. Afghanistan. I mean, you know, oh, that yeah. stupid Noam Chomsky WTC7 thing where he was like acting like, you know, we didn't really even need to go in Afghanistan. Like it was like that wasn't like, you know, we wouldn't have staged 9-11 just so we can go in Afghanistan as if as if Afghanistan is just such an insignificant like little country I mean it literally has the world's largest supply of opium on the planet and also look where it is yeah you're the whole point is to surround these countries militarily Afghanistan well, yeah, is too. totally yeah. right in the yeah. heart of everything you know they I know that they wanted to build that pipeline that they never did but still yeah the I think now the opium trade this year alone has like doubled it's like mm -hmm. gone up 50% from the year before. And of course, already the Taliban had almost eradicated the opium crop. You see mainstream publications touting it almost as a success and pre 9-11 saying, wow, the Taliban had almost completely, yeah. you know, burned all the crop. Opium's almost gone. Here you go. 90% of the world's heroin now comes from Afghanistan, Robbie. It's, it is really fascinating to think that we can't hold on to any proof or show for a fact that the U.S. government is benefiting immensely from that opium supply but but they have to be i mean like why would they because they have a history of doing it so it's like you can only it's it's unfortunate that you can only really speculate but like somebody needs to do like a huge expose on like the details of where that heroin goes who's moving it well you were bringing up world war ii earlier and i think that's a perfect way to look at this situation as you know we already know that the pharmaceutical corporations need opium latex to manufacture pills yeah. for the pill happy right nation now, that we live officially in officially that's been done in nepal and india like india and nepal were the are the were or are the two wor like world's largest suppliers of opium latex for pharmaceutical companies? But also, what about just opium straight up for pharmaceutical companies? Well, that's the, that's what it, I mean. That's what opium latex is. It's just like it's oh, just made just from opium. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, okay, so you have that. But so it's already, I mean, but that's legally sanctioned. You know, right. so like that's the th part that people need to understand is that heroin is a derivative of raw opium, and raw opium is used to make any derivative like heroin like morphine i mean morphine's not even the derivative of it opium has morphine in it mm -hmm. you know and that's like used in all hospitals everywhere it's not even like usually prescribed as a pharmaceutical it's used almost in every situation in a hospital where someone needs to be put on like a pain drip it's morphine which comes straight out of opium you don't even need to refine it it's like in it's it's pure morphine and this is just coming out of opium and this isn't even the black market of just heroin no yeah i mean just picture the black market of heroin the trillions of dollars that are circulating through europe russia asia and the u.s coming from fucking the country that the u.s has been occupying for 12 years 11 years i mean does anyone else think that that's strange at all it's does anyone else think that that's strange and are you talking about the heroin? The problem? fact that the U.S. is still occupying the country that ninety percent of the world's heroin is coming from, and it's yeah. just unbelievable. And I mean, and that heroin, and this is the th also the thing is that, you know, when you feed a population heroin, usually don't do very well. 
like if you like create an influx of heroin into like a you know a low income region of a country they're probably gonna like not have any sort of like a positive economic growth or like increase like especially if like you addict a large portion of the population yeah. so if you think about it you know almost as like another form you know in the same way that we've been we've been doing sabotage you know where we blew up bridges in cuba before the bay of pigs and all that kind of shit where we just tried to like destroy supply lines i mean people in of themselves can be considered like a supply line for like an economic structure of a country so like where is all this heroin going once it goes on the black market where is it going is it going to places that we eventually want to fuck up so that like we can just weaken them yeah, i mean also, it's just interesting also, to think about that too you would think that a country that the u.s is occupying would have like posts to see the out you know exporting of the country not exporting but i mean like guard posts like around these giant opium fields and stuff and it's like where is it going yeah is anyone following where the heroin's going yeah, because it's we're, it really a, we're fighting a war on drugs yeah. in the rest of the world we have drones <laughs> in the air like monitoring afghanistan and pakistan and pretty much you know the Tora Bora, the the mountains. You know the mountain range between Pakistan and Afghanistan is like the main sort of border that people cross to do you yeah. know, illegal things to smuggle people in and out. And we have fucking drones like <laughs> flying around there all the time. You know, if we wanted to, we probably could stop like most of the world's heroin <laughs> trafficking. You know, like if literally that was something we cared about. Yeah, but it's clearly amazing. we don't. <laughs> and also, don't forget the banks. Who's funneling all this drug money? Who's laundering it? Yeah. it has to go out clean on the other side mm -hmm. oh i was gonna mention but when you talked about the vanity fair thing i bet vanity fair never mentioned the bcci bank which was basically a money laundering it was like the cia's black bu budget bank essentially and what was interesting about that is it was never really proven that it was directly like controlled by the cia but it was revealed that like the ISI would use it was it New for York their magazine. Budget. Sorry. Okay, but the, if, this is something really fascinating. Anybody out there who's never heard of the BCCI, it is an absolutely fascinating example of a huge scandal where literally one of these major banks um, got shut down by like international regulations because of it was caught money laundering. Um, with doing fraud it was caught um helping funnel the money into pakistan's nuclear program just everything you can imagine under the sun that like happened before 9-11 like from like 1980 to like 2000 that was bad happened through this bank that the so US all the government ceos was are in. in jail right i don't even know what happened <laughs> to the people involved <laughs> in the sure bank but not. like um, Buzzy Krongard, basically the CEO of the bank, like became the director of the CIA. And he was like replaced by, um, he was still the director of the CIA up right until George Tennant, I think, took over for him. Unbelievable. Or no, wait, maybe I'm, I, you know, I might be wrong. Could be thinking of Porter Goss, but it might be actually that both Porter Goss and Buzzy Krongard were somehow involved in BCCI. But anyways, there's a couple of clips on YouTube that are fascinating because like the news is basically spelling out everything except for that. This is the CIA's like black budget bank, but everything else is there. The money laundering, wow. the drug dealing, the terrorism, you know, Pakistan and the U S using it. I mean, they go through everything about how the U S used it to do illegal things, but yet, it's never sort of talked about how the U.S. completely, you know, propped this place up, and they were the biggest. And like, that's how they do it. They'll have a fall. Of course, the bank takes the fall. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. of course the government will they were never just be a corrupt implicated. Bank that allowed people to do illegal things through it. It's you know? just like 
you know, the BP, of course, Deepwater Horizon disaster, and it came out that they had falsified evidence and destroyed documents, which is completely insane. I mean, it's beyond just malfeasance. It's actually like criminal as hell. And of course, they're slapped with these small fines. And who takes the fall? Some guy, some engineer who probably was told, hey, delete anything that would like implicate us. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And of course, he's the one facing I, I want to say like, an ins I mean, it's like 50 years in prison or some shit. I mean, he's facing like hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. I don't know what sentence, so but an egregious sentence. Yeah. I mean, he is so thrown under the bus and he's just like, why am I taking the fall for this insanity? I mean, it's just the way that they operate. They throw a couple people under the bus and they get off scot-free. Well, honestly, the silence about just in general around the BP deep. I mean, how, how, I mean the Halliburton. Yeah. That's all um, connected because Halliburton but, built the. Yeah, yeah, but what I was gonna say was the, it is it is interesting how the silence is like deafening on it's just sort of the backlash that P BP got on like the Deepwater Horizon scandal. Like, do you remember when we were kids when the Exxon Valdez oh, yeah. spill happened? How much that was parodied and satired like for years. There's like a scene in Naked Gun where it's like, you know, it shows like the Exxon Valdez like captain's training and like they're like drinking and then having to like drive these little go-karts like after they're drunk like on the deck of the ship and stuff. Like it was like a cultural joke, you know, for years. But yet somehow BP has managed to create this PR machine where it's not like they're going out there like talking about how good they are all the time and they do that but that's not what they were effective at it's almost like they've silenced people oh they no it's almost like oh they've God, somehow no, they created have. this like blanket of silence over anybody who who would go out there and normally just like you know throw fire at wait, them wait did you know what came out was happening no no tell me oh the, no they actually had a, they had a PR firm mm -hmm. they hired, not just to do positive advertising. I actually interviewed but someone like named Dar Jamal, who's been following the BP Deepwater Horizon spill since it started. First of all, he said that fish aren't reproducing and having babies right now. So we're not even gonna see the effects of this. Exxon Valdez, we didn't see the effects until generations later of fish. I'm not saying human generation time, uh -huh. fish generation time. So it's really hard to even assess the damages right now. Aside from that, he just uncovered in a new report that BP had this PR firm that was actually, you know those sock puppet accounts that we talk about how the military Absolutely. has capabilities of having like 10 or 20 different well, yeah. social personalities so that are moderated by just yeah. one unit? Yeah. Okay, BP on their Facebook page, on their Twitter feed, like anything that was like officially BP, anyone who would comment, not anyone, but I mean this happens so often that obviously like he found out about it and did this whole report about it, but they were actually like not just threatening people but death threats to critics online and silencing to the point where they would like send Whoa. them photos of guns and at first people were like who are these really aggressive crazy trolls on here that are trying to silence us and then they trace it back to fucking bp that these same that people like in these accounts scandal. it should be a huge scandal yeah. right that these same people who are moderate managing these accounts dar linked it back and saw that they were all friends with like people in the pr firm and like somehow trace it back that all these people were linked together that's so and it was totally exposed that bp was going as far as threatening people to kill them that's crazy isn't it insane yeah. that's bp for you i mean i believe it though it's just it's just so wild to think that anybody can wield easily we like with the power of the internet you can create the illusion that all these people are like coming after you or that like create fee if you want to like target one person and mind fuck them so into oblivion, easy that's the scary thing about the internet to me is like here's an example this is not directly related but it's just an example of how easy it is to get like fake sock puppet people um 
and you know people listening to this this broadcast right now are listening to it on soundcloud very recently on soundcloud my my account for music my fluorescent gray music account on there has started to get all these random followers that are like that seem suspicious and then like when you click on their names they'll they'll say like click here to find out how to get like 10,000 like followers spam? on SoundCloud. SoundCloud accounts? So hell? when you go to the, like the webpage to see what it is, it's like some Chinese company or some company somewhere like China, I don't know where it is, but that has like 10,000 or so sock puppet accounts that'll just start following you on Twitter or on SoundCloud or on Facebook or like Facebook page likes. And I was like, wow, this is really weird. You know, I, I, at first I thought this is bullshit. Like yeah. you probably pay this amount and then you don't get any results or whatever. But then I started getting followed by this guy called who calls himself the Green Raver. Okay. <laughs> and I clicked on his music. I was just bored one day and I clicked on it and he had like 10,000 listens to every track and like the comments of the, the timeline were packed to the brim. And, uh, and I and I looked at his Facebook page and he had like fifty thousand likes, you know, and all this shit. And I was like, "Who is this guy?" I was like, "I've never heard of him. His music is really badly produced. The people leaving comments don't say anything about the actual song. They're just like, yeah, bro, like just weird <laughs> nonsense.' Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Where you can tell it's fake. And then I realized that he must have paid one of these companies to create sock puppet accounts to follow him, like ten thousand followers, yeah. Oh, yeah. fifty thousand likes on the Facebook page. And what's interesting is you go to the Facebook page with fifty thousand likes and all the posts have no comments or likes so right. it's like he so you can pay i mean this is just an example of a normal person can pay twenty dollars to have like ten thousand sock puppet accounts like hype you up online and, how and if sad that's possible is that? then think of what the fucking yeah, power yeah. someone like he yeah. has like, 120 million dollars yeah, of throw away to PR. it is really actually frightening to think of what type of shit you can get away with on the internet with like sock puppet it's unbelievable armies, like yeah. armies of sock puppets. it is it's so crazy there's a whole other side to that too where it's like you can't take too many risks but that you also can't be too afraid right because there's always a chance that if you're some sort of activist or investigative journalist if you have anything out there that's could potentially bring you down at some point it's going to be used against you right i mean the only reason why the FBI surveillance of Martin Luther King was never used against him because they couldn't figure out a way. There's actually like leaked conversations with J. Edgar Hoover talking about how it's 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 a it's an inherent problem that they know that Martin Luther King has had like orgies with multiple right. women and he's had group sex and he's like a minister, you know? So this is like something that could ruin his public reputation. Yet the only evidence they had of it was like microphones embedded in his fucking walls you know so like they couldn't it's like they can't release that to ruin him because then it would prove that they were surveilling him for no reason so it's like that was i mean i'm sure if he lived long enough they probably would have figured out a right. way to do it you know they would have hired a woman to go have sex with him and then like you know claim rape or something i mean there's always ways to do it isn't that amazing how history has been rewritten about mlk <laughs> like we have like this monument erected for mlk yeah. in dc and there's mm -hmm. martin luther king day and it's like we were trying to take him down so hard yeah they even sent him a letter telling him to kill himself like it, it's so crazy what they're doing and how dare they try to say that he was you know that they i don't know I mean, that's all they had against him was that he, they, they thought that him being a hypocrite and his sexual appetite would destroy him somehow.
Unbelievable. But it never got to that point because, well, they probably killed him. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, some, something happened, and his, you know, as we know, his family had the citizen, citizen's jury, citizen grand jury, or whatever, that yeah. found overwhelming well, evidence that. Yeah. I you mean, know who the judge that sat on that was? Who? I think it was Judge Joe Brown, like the guy really? who later had that um, TV judge show? TV show. Yeah, Whoa. absolutely. Yeah. Like he's fully on board the night, the, um, that Martin Luther King was like killed by a. So it was Cornel West. I brought it up to him and he was like, yep. Um, two more things before we move on to, to NSA stuff is um, I had this gender expert on the other day and he, it's so funny. Like when people just give you this perspective that you've never thought about like gender indoctrination mm -hmm. and how we hear this really aggressive military rhetoric and how like the democratic party is such, so pussified and so like limp dicked that they like can't like they can't like relinquish their mil like the militarism because like they're scared the GOP is going to be like dude you guys are too weak on defense you got to mm -hmm. be stronger in defense and he was saying they don't want to look um, emasculated that it's like this fear of just this like growing up into this militaristic male you know patriarchal culture where you like need to be like the this strong man and you're like. Mm -hmm. with a gun and all this shit and i don't know if it's like blood into the american culture or what but it was just really fascinating the way he was breaking down that like 90 percent of violent crime is committed by men and he was like when we hear about statistical analysis about crime and and all these things he's like all you hear about is race income mental illness he's like you never talk about gender and mm -hmm. isn't that just fucking fascinating because there's just as many mentally ill women as there are men why do you not see mass shootings carried out by women you know, it's just an interesting mm -hmm. analysis that you just don't ever hear about. Super fascinating. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I saw that exact interview, but I saw your interview with Roseanne. <laughs> we were mentioning some of those things to her, and I mean, the be probably the best example of that masculine, you know, militarism coming out was like nine eleven, and how not just men, but women everywhere took on that masculine mm -hmm. war mongering mentality and like i think you know some of the things roseanne said were you know a little i mean like she definitely like talked a lot and i don't think i took most of it in <laughs> but there was a there was a one one of the things she said that i would thought was that i, where I really like resonated with me was she's like women are raising these mm -hmm. boys you know like yeah, a lot of like, times yeah. like you know women are like the main parent who's raising them to think this way and feel this way so it's like it's not even that the that the sex it's like the genders and the sex you know the 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 you know the the hormones and the things that are like produced in our bodies biologically definitely i think contribute to that but i think it's like it's something that's been perpetuated through culture that maybe was originally based on like our masculine genetic makeup but then has now taken on like this form of almost like tradition that's passed down generation to generation that actually is in contradiction to the way our biology is now like the whole like gender essentialism and like the idea that the genders are so distinctly different the are being broken down at like an accelerated rate you know i mean like just the amount of people who don't identify as either gender or who don't identify as either sexuality or like totally, pansexual totally it's like exploding you know there's like there is like a new sexual cultural redefining gender revolution happening in the background right now and you're totally right i'm really happy that you said women are raising men to be like this because i don't mean it all to say that men are inherently oh, yeah. violent or no. men are inherently no, like militaristic i mean it's all 
cultural like or it's all just indoctrinated from childhood i mean the blue the pink that you play with gi joe you play with barbie and cooking things i mean this is all the way societally bred yeah i mean men are definitely physically designed to be the better killers right and the better you know more physically imposing gender but yet when it comes down to like you know examples in nature well yeah well that too but then like if you look at nature like this is like just like a small microcosm of you know something like you know a female lioness will sometimes protect her young more viciously and more violently than the than the father you know the male lion would and like it's kind of a you can use that kind of example overlaid on 911 like you know it's like the matriarchal instinct kicks in which in some ways can even be equally as harmful as like the masculine killing instinct because it's like you need to protect your children you know like from any outside threat and you could like transpose it on like the idea of like a nation state as like an outside threat and these are these are my children this is my family i need to protect them and like that that was definitely an instinct that the u.s government took advantage of too i mean i mean and also the reversal I want you to continue your thought, but the reversal of saying that the government's a parental figure that I inherently trust them and they obviously care about me and that mm-hmm. they would never hurt me and that I care more about Americans than I do other people and this is that cultural boundary of... Yeah. No, it's fascinating though the way that... I mean, we don't... It's it's in such contradictory nature to the way that we live and exist in the United States to have this sort of killer mentality that we do have it's just really fascinating to me how quick we are to say that it's okay to kill someone in that country or yeah they deserve the death penalty you know i want that pedophile to be you know beheaded in the town square america as a culture is extremely quick to like snap to that kind of mindset like yeah and it's and 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 in other, in other countries and other places in the world that makes more sense to me logically because their cultures are some some cultures are more harsh you know people die of of um thirst and stuff you know and it's i mean like in certain countries like in africa you know where people were, were killing is more like in your face like you like walk by yeah, corpses like, on the street so it's and like in that way it almost makes more a lot more sense and i'm like a lot more understanding of that kind of culture than i am of americans having the privilege and the security and the safety and the conveniences that we do being so quick to pretending we're these civilized yeah. intelligent people to being like yeah let's fucking kill yeah them. we'll look at two examples like, bin laden shit bin laden and the boston sarnave brothers boom the sarnave bin brothers laden, bloodbath and the sarnave brothers let's fucking get them yeah and then and then another example is a black friday walmart oh trampling my God, people dude. getting murdered from people trying to get fucking oh blu-ray God. players oh my god i mean we are a really fucked up population and, oh, and black friday is probably the most vile thing yeah, i've ever and seen and that combined like, with internet culture which is increasingly becoming geared towards narcissism and ego projections combine that with the, how fucked up we already are and we're like on the tip of that like we are the pioneers of the internet generation america as a country it's just like a terrible mix like we are fucking fucked i'm serious <laughs> and there's a lot of people who say that we've we're too fucked to go back unfortunately but um, i mean in some ways we are but i do th- i mean our government is not too fucked i mean i don't know that's a whole another what do you mean our government isn't too fucked i was just gonna say i'm, I'm i guess i'm more talking about like our mentality as a culture just independent of the government 
Yeah. And um, how we view ourselves and, and how we see ourselves as superior. We're just so solipsistic. Self important. So you know? solipsistic of an entire species. Yeah. And it's just incredible. Go. All right. So I just wanted to talk about, um, you know, calling out the whole John Stewart, Eric Prince interview because people don't seem to understand why I think it's bad to have a war criminal on mainstream media revising history. I mean, he was basically given a platform to spew revisionist history about his war crimes and barely challenged. And people say, oh, John Stewart backed him into a corner and that's the way he, he did it in a really intelligent way. It's like, actually, no. Like, if you actually watch the interview, he was totally given a way to totally abridge the history of the Nasser massacre. Mm -hmm. um, and just at the end, you basically, the, what I took away from the interview, if I didn't know any better, is that it was, Eric Prince was victimized. Yeah, that's it. I mean that, and and that's not okay with me because no, people get their news from the Daily Show. They literally get their news from the Daily Show. A lot of people. It's so disgusting to me the way that when John Stewart decides to be aggressive with someone he's interviewing, it is almost always inevitably like some kind of generic partisan issue where he's like, like he had on, um, God damn it, what's his name? One of the like really homely guys from Fox News who's like a classic Krauthammer. He had Charles Krauthammer on. Can we get him? Um, Can we put in him bedroom? in the bedroom because he's walking uh, around. Charles Krauthammer was on his show and Jon Stewart was like it was a very lively but aggressive and like you know Jon Stewart would interrupt him and he wouldn't Jon Stewart basically wouldn't let him spew bullshit but it was such a lighthearted and non-consequential uh, issue that they were discussing that it... It was okay. It, it, it's okay, I guess. But it's very fascinating to me that when all these like figurehead-type politicians come on, he just acts like he's just there to do like a normal interview and let them say whatever they want. And it's, and then like, then I saw one of them where he interviewed John Yu. He did a terrible job. And then like the next day he apologized for it and really and acted like he was just so nervous that he had all these things he wanted to say, but he was just like so nervous. And it was the only time I've ever seen him do wow. that. Yeah. That's incredible. But when it came to Colin Powell, Eric Prince, you know, all these other terrible interviews he's done, or even Obama, um, he just lets everything slide, you know, like, and it's, only, it's you can only push it to a certain extent, which brings me to how weird it is or how weird it must be to work for like MSNBC or Fox. And like, can you imagine having to toe the line of this divide and conquer GOP versus the Democrats? And that's like the only literal barrier that you're allowed to cross. You can never talk about corporations. Yeah. Because they fuck, they'll hurry, you, you can't fuck up your advertising well, revenue. Is it Viacom or Viacom? Viacom. Vi Viacom is like one of the biggest, I mean, I think it is the biggest non-network television like company. So like, you know, I don't know how Jon Stewart's lining up all these guests or if it's completely organic, but I am highly doubtful that that's like an organic process where he is fielding people on his team to like find the guests that he wants. I almost guarantee you that people higher up at Viacom are like somehow funneling in certain guests to him. Like we, like Eric Prince is doing a book tour. Like we want you to interview Eric Prince or Colin Powell's doing a book tour. And that's almost like I'm giving John Stewart the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's possible that he does have these people on and is okay with them regurgitating completely disgusting propaganda. 
I mean, if that's the case, then he's even more of an idiot than well, I Well, I don't believe it. I mean, Jon Stewart seems extremely intelligent to me. Because yeah. when he wants to be hard and when he wants to be really cutting, he is. But sometimes really intelligent people are really trapped, like, you know, trapped in the paradigm. Really. Which brings me to this point. Another guest that I had on, Guy McPherson, who's one of the people who says that we are going to be extinct by, like, 2030. Because all these climate change feedback loops and all, like, these scientific analysis we've like gone so far beyond any reversible trend on climate change so he's in that camp but he brought up some really important things when i said well why aren't scientists sharing your concern and your uh-huh. urgency i mean this seems like it's really fucking crazy like yeah. everyone should be talking about this and he was like academics and scientists are the most constrained ideologically because they've been so committed to this field of study so narrowly driven into like honing in it's like St- what Stephen was saying about once you've put yourself into like these doctorates where you're so centralized and focused and it's such a narrow field of study mm-hmm. that it's like if you're like count, like coming across information that completely counters what you've dedicated your entire life's work of studying and teaching kids you know what i mean or academics and scientific journals like doing mm-hmm. research and theses and i can't imagine like we think of institutions college institutions and scientific institutions as like completely open-minded and liberal and like taking information and like readapting their Mm -hmm. philosophies and ideologies and really i could see the other side of it where they get even more constrained and and reinforce their own Mm -hmm. paradigms more and more and more you know as they go on it's just interesting of course yeah and i can i always when i think about academia there's a there's a new movie that came out that's pretty good it's a 9-11 movie called um 9-11 in the academic community no, i've never heard, heard of, of it. it i don't know who produced it but there's some really interesting things in it where they sort of talk about how 9-11 is covered like if there is a class about 9-11 in a certain college like how they cover it and it just made me think of you know there are like a handful of people out there who are sort of even some of them are liberal or like not in line with the U.S. government, but then they'll use this sort of idea that they know that Al Qaeda is real and they know so much about it that that's like a reason to sort of deflect that you know 9/11 was an inside job or a cover up or whatever. And I just wanted to throw some names out there of people who do this. And like one of them is Robert Bear, another one is Chris Hedges who's done it before and uh who's the other guy there's a few people who go out there who act as if it's like because no because literally there is almost no information about al-qaeda predating 9-11 because they're not a real cohesive or even impactful entity but these people who had this loose amount of knowledge about their structure or the people involved in their organization go out there and act like they're the authority on them and it's just kind of fascinating to me how i don't even understand how someone would have like a class about the war on terror because there's almost no information out there about like al-qaeda and stuff predating 9-11 that in any way connects them to like what how we represent them after 9-11 you know how we present them the total tangent i just went off on but um sorry (laughs) no no yeah it's it's uh it's weird because I just saw like the guy that was black bagged in Libya or whatever. We could have easily just gotten him with the cooperation of the Libyan government. But instead, he was like, uh, you know, we had this extraordinary rendition to get this guy. And anyways, because he was like wanted for this embassy bombing like in 96. Remember I was telling you about that guy? Uh-huh. And what's weird is that that they're saying that that group responsible for the embassy bombing in Kenya or whatever was not like was Al Qaeda back then. Like that was 
whatever al-qaeda is now like that was okay it's it's very but you're right it's so hard to know what's real and what's not i mean i certainly don't believe in al-qaeda the way that we're told it is i mean really it's completely fallen apart there's no proof that there's actually like a terrorism threat facing anyone other than blowback from what we've already been doing in like iraq Mm -hmm. you know syria all this shit it's like i i've seen absolutely no proof of even like terrorism here other than the boston bombing if you want to call that a terrorist act i don't know yeah and i mean i and i don't because it's like um it's not it's not any form of like jihad or like you know terrorism in the way that the united states was trying to represent it after 9 11 is that there's like a force of like people who are very determined determined to commit jihad on the united states like in the name of yeah. their hatred of the united states like mixed with the islamic fundamentalism and nothing absolutely nothing that has happened since 9 11 has remotely classified as that i mean right you could argue that the Nadal Hassan shooting was, but I would, I would say that that guy more just had, he like snapped, you know, he was, it was not like culturally brought up in him to feel or think or, or behave the way that he did. It was almost in the same way that the Columbine Mm -hmm. students snapped. It was like, he was surrounded by us military, you know, redneck dudes, you know, in Texas and he just snapped. I mean, I mean, that's the way I see it. I, I don't know if we'll ever know the real story behind that, but yeah, I mean, there is no there is no terrorist threat as michael moore there said. is no terrorist threat yeah. uh and this is what michael moore said what did he say it at the not at the oscars i, I think he was somewhere <laughs> doing some kind of book tour and like, this like on the right day of 9 11 actually really? and i remember this is what i remember and i can't say this 100 percent for sure but I remember them trying to smear Michael Moore on the news before, way before Fahrenheit 9-11 right. or Bowling for Columbine even came out because it was like he was one of those dudes who was really outspoken and would say shit that was like really cutting for, you know, for the time. Saying there is no terrorist threat on 9-11 close, yeah. is huge. And I remember, I remember seeing that clip being played on the media yeah. and i don't remember what context is in i wish i could go back and find maybe it let's, but let's try to find it and come back it's kind of interesting it. you know maybe that was one of those other things they threw in there like the dancing palestinians it was mm-hmm. like you know we want to make people hate all arabs or, or specifically palestinians so by default they'll prefer israel we want to make people hate michael moore because you know he's writing about the bush family you know i mean like all these different angles of like I don't know. Yeah, just, just to give ever, just to give everyone a little tiny insight on the dancing Palestinians reference is that on the day of 9/11 there was footage from that they were playing on the mainstream media that wasn't even like real time. It was just like stock footage of dancing Palestinians out of in context, the streets. Yeah. Totally out of context and they were claiming like look at all these Arabs are dancing in the streets. It's like actually they weren't. Like Yasser Arafat was like Yasser like, Arafat was extremely upset. Like extremely like shocked. Everyone of, in the entire yeah. world, like even the enemy leaders, quote unquote enemy leaders, were all like in unity. Like yeah. it was a beautiful symbolic moment in terms of the how the, how the world viewed us and uh-huh. like the chance that was given and completely squandered. But what's by so this fascinating country. about that is that even if, let's say if the footage was real or even if it right. was, I guess that's that's the less important part. But what's fascinating about that Palestinian footage is they aired it on television in the middle of a national emergency right. where people were still unknown if they were dead or alive. People were trapped in the rubble. I mean, it, they, it was 
aired live on the news on all the news networks at the same time an hour after the tower the like the last tower collapsed at like 11 30 a.m i mean like how irresponsible is that it's like all right let's hate these Ar- dancing arabs everyone get get your energy up we're about to go to war it's guys fucking you ready insane yeah if you're not ready now look at these people dancing yeah aren't you pissed look at them it's fucking nuts dude i didn't even remember any of that it's, it shows you how much you know we talk about this all the time but how much we're propagandized and indoctrinated into the in the wake of 9-11 all this agitprop all of this propaganda forced on our throats like we think that we know the half of it and we think that we're immune to it a little bit but really how much did it fuck us up no i'm 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 like certain that i'm still basing some of the things i believe on imaginary or and or some kind of agitprop that was like, like false to me on 9/11. yeah like, yeah. yeah and luckily by that time i was already like starting to you know I'm, you know, people have called me a contrarian sometimes, and I feel like being a contrarian in that instance was like very helpful because I was already, I would just, you know, I wasn't going along with the, you know, the Afghanistan invasion, why, why it made sense and all that stuff. But even still, I mean, there's probably so much stuff that I was indoctrinated under during then that I don't even remember. And we won't ever be able to find out. I mean, the combination of newspapers, radio, mm-hmm. press, word of mouth. I mean, there was just so much weird shit coming around 9-11. I remember that were like urban legends. Like I remember there was a story going around that I had heard from multiple people about how like a kid in class got up out of elementary school desk and pointed to the World Trade right. Center and said, that building's going to be right. blown up yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember or, like, that story too. Tomorrow. Yeah. And it's just like, where does that shit come from? Right. Like, how much of that shit that we heard was like government propaganda? I mean, like, you don't even yeah. know, you know? Totally, That dude. event was so emotionally traumatic that it is almost like a fugue state dream. In and and here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. What, 12 years later? What are we in, 2013? <laughs> December 2013? Real kicker, everyone. CIA memos, incontrovertible evidence from pre-9-11 internal memos from the ca that saudi arabia banned our uh, i'm sorry um banned our bush name? or the saudi arabian the saudi arabian Prime Minister, the king prince, prince. banned our whatever uh-huh um completely not only knew about the hijackers completely was mapping them out and following them but helping them financially and logistically this is completely proven now mm-hmm. so the real question is what i mean like i mean like what what is the question that arises out of these facts it's like obviously we knew the whole time you know all the hijackers were saudi arabian how could saudi arabia not be involved or not at least know or been covering up something and now that we know that the cia knew mm-hmm. before 9 11 what does that tell you and Abby. why are people up in arms about the fact that this is our strongest ally other yeah. than Israel in the Middle East, yeah, the uh-huh. most tyrannical monarchy that will hang people in a public square for fucking sorcery. I mean, this is fucked up. And this country's so screwed up. And it's fascinating, too, that bin Laden is Saudi and Zawahiri, the actually guy who's above bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, and put that in quotes, is Egyptian. They come from two... Puppet states, pretty much. Basically, puppet states. One of them was affluent, came from basically royal family connected money, Bin Laden, and the other one was extremely unhappy and upset by like the royal, not royal, but like the upper classes, then the elites sort of westernizing and corrupting, you know, the sort of like fundamentals of like the Islamic culture in Egypt. 
And then these two dudes went to Afghanistan and, you know, from that point on, there are so many different strange connections between even bin Laden and like the Royal family and the Bush family, Mm -hmm. you know, specifically like, like that's, those are actually connected. And we've known that, you know, James R. Bath, um, you know, like, helped Bush fund Arbusto oil with bin Laden family money, you know, way before 9-11. I mean, even before his dad was was president. And it's that, that is a fascinating angle too, because you just mentioned, well, I don't know if you meant to mention Bandar Bush, but Bandar Bush was the ambassador to the United States from Saudi Arabia. And the name was given to him by Bush. It was because he was like such good friends with Bush that he called him Bandar Bush. Um, but there's an interesting interview that completely obliterates the narr- the false narrative that, uh, that Bin Laden was a black sheep of the family on Larry King Live shortly after 9-11. This is before, because 9-11 official story has gone through several iterations and revisions mm-hmm. since it started. This was before they came up with the black sheep thing. Because when people started to say, wait a second, the Bin Laden family has been flown out, they're connected to Bush, <laughs> and it's like, minute. oh, black sheep. He's not, he's, no, he has nothing to do with the rest of the Bin Laden family. They're all good. He's the black sheep, okay? That was the revision. But before that revision, Bandar Bush is on Larry King Live, and Larry King asked Bandar Bush, have you ever met Bin Laden? And he's like, yes, I have. He's like, uh, about three years ago, I met him at like some kind of like family gathering, and I wasn't impressed. I thought I heard so much about him and I wasn't impressed with this man. So here's the Saudi Arabia ambassador to the, to the United States talking about hanging out with bin Laden after he was a wanted terrorist by the FBI at like a thing where he would be hanging out with like royalty from the Saudi Arabian government. Yeah, and like what were you impressed about? That he wasn't like a like as yeah. criminal as but, you expected? Or like but the what? fascinating thing about that is that he's if he's there at a it family gathering, him. he's not a black sheep. Right. Obviously. I mean, that's like, that's the guy that's like the most connected to the Bush administration from the Saudi Arabian government is talking about meeting bin Laden, you know, in like a friendly, like environment, you know, it's not like he went to Tora Bora and like staked him out. I think he actually met him in Saudi Arabia from what I understand. And that's all I I know is that it's completely illogical for, I mean, how can anyone look at this event now? stoically non-emotionally because i know that people really like to get emotional about it i'm completely not emotional about it anymore i mean i probably am i like to say that i'm not but we've been so like well it's like the emotion of knowing that you were lied to and then other people are still believing bullshit you know that's yeah that's gone away but i I just don't understand how people can dismiss this new revelation that confirms that saudi arabia was actually like helping carry out the attacks i mean how can you possibly think well, that we didn't know i mean we did yeah it, it's proven so like now what well i mean i just don't people will be able to backpedal and like do mental gymnastic const constantly about the idea of just the idea of foreknowledge like i've talked to people who are very intelligent people i'm not gonna mention their names but like where i'm mentioning that the hijackers were known to be taking flying lessons. We had, they were living on the roof of an FBI informant. Um, think those kind of things. It's like they don't understand, they, they almost assume that the incompetence theory has to be true by default. You know, that it's not even possible. Like when I bring up to them the specifics of the warnings or the amount of surveillance that was happening, the amount of like 
you know, tracking these people and the visas and all that stuff, it's almost like they don't even, it just goes in one ear and out the other. It's like they're still relying on that weird propped up story that we were just too incompetent. It was like, no matter how many people were tracking them or whatever, the information just didn't get there in time, you know? Like nobody, at no point did anybody specifically step in and like obstruct, you know, that from taking place. And I just find that fascinating because- it is. Why are you defaulting to that position? Like, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's very interesting. Why don't you just take it where the evidence leads you? Yeah. Instead of like defaulting back to this pre-established narrative that you want to believe. I know it's really comforting. It is very comforting to think that it, it was just total incompetence. Believe me, I would love to think that. However, I cannot. And it's just Because so I've seen an overwhelming amount of evidence that contradicts that. And that's, I mean, that's the bottom line. It's, and it's so interesting too, to think that, you know, the, and these hijackers stuck out like a, like a sore thumb. I mean, they took the flying lessons. They were given horrible reviews by the flight instructors. One of them actually even, this is another Called, fascinating like, thing. like, didn't they like report him? He reported Hany Hanjour for having a commercial pilot's aviation license. The flight instructor called either the FAA or the NTSB or some sort of official agency that gives out these licenses or that authorizes them or whatever because he was certain that it was a fraud. So he was basically reporting this guy to the law that his he thought this guy's pilot's license was forgery because there was no way that he had the wow. skills to actually get one. You know what I mean? So this is examples of how many like glaring flags, things these hijackers yeah. did to like make themselves publicly like um like they didn't they weren't trying to hide or be stealth about what they well, were doing. It was doing. almost like they went to a strip to club and, and shorted the bill. The guy's yeah. like, I don't have to pay this bill. I'm pi I'm an airline pilot. You don't talk to me that way. And he, they just left the strip club. It's almost like Oswald going out and making it known that he was like an agit yep. prop, like a Cuba, you mm -hmm. know, instigator. Cuba for fair Communist play instigator. Yeah. He's just like, bah, like out in the streets, handing out literature and shit. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. The Oswald, to me, the Oswald thing is a whole fascinating thing in and of itself because everything I've read about it, it almost seems like the U.S. government maybe it's simultaneously with the Bay of Pigs where they were setting this guy up to be some kind of provocateur to somehow link him to like the Cuban government or Russia. Right. That he was actually like that Russia or Cuba assassinated the president or something like that. Like it almost seems like that was how it was set up to go. And then at the last minute they decided to not go with that narrative. And people who totally still don't think that even JFK was like suspicious at all. Roger Stone, Nixon's right hand man was on the show breaking the set. And he said that Nixon was said it all the time that they killed mm -hmm. him. And he said the only difference between me and LG LBJ was that I didn't want to kill a man to get the position. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, this is like on tape. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Even the cognitive dissonance about Kennedy. Like I still have so many people saying like, no, I agree with everything you say except 9-11 and JFK. And I'm just like, if you agree with what I say about how the CIA operates externally, mm -hmm. then why would you just outwardly dismiss like these kind of same maneuvers going on within this country? It just shows you how even people who are willing to believe that the US government has evil in it and it murders people and stuff. It just shows that there are still these boundaries for them that they collide with where it's like, 
I talk I talked to someone guy who's like an expert on economics and he's very liberal and very anti US government. He thinks Edward Snowden's a hero. He loves Glenn Greenwald. But when it came to discussions about like black market, illegal drug trade, black budget, you know, how how much money we're really spending, we have no idea. He was like, No, that's not he's like, That's impossible. Like we know how much money we're spending. He's like, There's like a finite <laughs> and I'm like, But do you understand though that like the US government does, is able to do things off the record right. and he's like no he's like but we know how much our national debt is like we can subtract from that like the defense budget and he was and he was basically calling me a conspiracy theorist for pointing out to him that just because all these numbers are out there doesn't mean that when you add them all up it equals the total you know it's like oh it was just God. strange to me that that was something he could it was like too far for him to go to think that the u.s government would also be able to hide He's large like, no, sums we have of the money receipts yeah <laughs> no basically yeah and i was just thinking that's that's odd to me that he would think edward snowden's a hero he would you know all this stuff but then when it comes to like the amount of money we spend Entrust, on war and yeah. secret secret you know espionage or CIA activities. No, we know how much money we spend. You know, we can tell. You know what's like? No, we can't actually. You know what's a complete mind fuck is I'm learning more about economics, which is really what all this is based on. And I'm not going to get into this weird convoluted spiel about like weird economic theory. But what is really fascinating learning from Aaron Aid, who's the host of the new financial show on RT, is she was telling me, first of all, the derivatives market is like this multi. I think it's like trillions of dollars just being hidden and traded between banks. That's one thing that's going on. It's just mind blowing when you learn about it. Another thing is that there's like, this is so fucking crazy. The Federal Reserve buys, needs to buy treasury bonds. The treasury department sells treasury bonds. However, to keep the market open, all right, they've they've basically, instead of just the treasury selling these bonds to the Fed, they have banks involved for no reason like literally no reason these banks oh, are make involved commission, uh, make like dude when you learn about this shit it is so insane robbie they they don't need these banks involved mm-hmm. right the treasury could just give the bonds to the fed all mm-hmm. right that that's what should be happening that would completely solve so much instead they have like 12 lending banks that they've commissioned mm-hmm. to buy the bonds from the treasury host them in the fed overnight and making millions and billions and billions of dollars that the fed pays the banks to host the money in the fuck when you learn about what's going on behind the scenes and you're just like wait why would these banks even be involved in Mm-hmm. What's why would they even be involved? And why are they making so much money on just lending the bonds that they buy from the treasury into the Fed? It is so crazy. Like when Aaron told me this, it's just like this, no wonder it's so convoluted. Because if people knew this aspect of the financial mm-hmm. looting that's going on and all the laws that are built to allow this to happen, it it really like I mean, it almost makes you feel like completely helpless. And you're like, dude, these people have like totally rigged the system so hard. Oh, yeah. And the Fed can't. This is the problem with the Fed is that it's a private bank. And so even if Congress one day miraculously was like, guess what? If you want to host this money, that's fine. But you need to lend out like like three quarters of it within like the next Mm -hmm. week. Like you need to ensure that it's going to go back into the public. You know, like we, you have to like give something back to us. Like if we're going to give you millions of dollars, but it's like, even if Congress voted that the Fed would just be like, fuck you. We're not going to do shit. 
because they don't have any sort of authority over the fed no the only authority crazy what's really interesting to me is literally the only authority the u.s government has over the the fed is who they appoint to head it it's unbelievable and it's like what's also weird i guess i don't understand about enough about economics to understand the difference between how our country is ran and other countries but as far as i understand it other big countries have a national bank that's like government ran you know like a lot of yeah, them a do lot of central banks are yeah we and like but america is different in the sense that we don't actually have like a national bank of england it's like it is the federal reserve in name only but yet it's beholden to all these different private banks that are sort of funneled into the Federal Reserve by who's appointed to head it. You know, he he probably is ultimately in charge of like what banks get, you know, which, you know, whatever, like deals through the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I remember Alan Grayson, which I love this guy. I mean, he's he has his problems and stuff too, but he's one of the better congressmen. And he, I saw this amazing video where he's just grilling Bernanke right after the mm-hmm. 2008 bailout. Is he a billionaire? Bernanke? No. Um, Grayson? Grayson. I don't think so. I heard he's got like at least like a quarter billion. Wow. Or something. That's crazy. Because like, he seems really in touch with that. I mean, I, I think he says a lot human. of good things, but apparently he's one of those guys who like bought his way into office just through like a unbeatably expensive campaign. Damn. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. But, um, but he's interviewing, or not interviewing, but he's like grilling Bernanke on the House floor. And he's just like, where did the quarter trillion dollars go that you guys got? Like... Do you have any records of like where that money went? And Bernanke was just like, uh, it went to like offshore bank accounts and like smaller bank, like, like totally not even the institutions that we thought that were bailing out, you know, to save the country and to save the economy. Like literally a half, a quarter trillion dollars just went into fuck knows offshore into banks that he he basically couldn't even tell Grayson. And Grayson was just like, do you have like a record? <laughs> like, could we follow up and see where, like, is there any list that we could find out where the all the money, taxpayer dollars went? It's the most shocking clip ever. It just shows like, oh my God, like there's so much going on. I mean, and we're squabbling about social security. You know, we're squabbling about the sequester and we need to cut social security. We need to cut food stamps, $250 million in food stamps. It's like, dude, do you realize what's going on? Like on a corporate level and on a banking level, it's terrifying. And look at who Obama appointed to surround him. It's, it's interesting. Um, he surrounded himself with Clintonite financial deregulators, the people who are responsible for deregulating the economy under Glass-Steagall, all these people like, um, you know, Larry Summers and these people like in the Clinton era who were literally responsible for the deregulation of the economy. And Obama appoints them, you know, even Rahm Emanuel, like all these Clintonites. And then of course, Wall Street executives, Wall Street bankers, lobbyists. Um, it's really fascinating. It's another thing that's really interesting about people passing the buck on Obama because they're like, oh, you know, he's one man. He can't do anything. He means to do well. It's like, well, didn't he appoint these people, though? Because if nothing else, like he did choose the people to surround him, right? Yeah. I mean, there's an excuse for every horrendous thing Obama has done. There's an excuse for everything. And I think what's really sad, I guess, to me, that really infuriates me is... 
it's like there is like a collective embarrassment and like withdrawal complex by Obama fanboys right now where they never made the crucial step and I we mentioned I said this before in a podcast I don't give a shit I'm gonna say it again they didn't they never made the crucial psychological step of like accepting that they were betrayed that they were lied to that this man is a liar a professional liar he is doing horrible things and it's like they never came to that realization instead it's almost like they've withdrawn in silence you don't hear people going out there and praising obama anymore but you also don't hear those same people admitting you know what he really did lie and i'm really disappointed it's almost like i don't know it's almost like um when someone's exposed like say like you know um I don't know, example, like say, you know, you're in a family, you know, like a, a, an extended family and the husband, you know, in the family is exposed as being like a wife beater, you know, like he's, he beats his wife and it wasn't known before mm. and everybody was, you know, loved this guy, but instead of, you know, the family getting together and admitting, you know, and sort of talking about openly how this guy really lied to us, he's actually a piece of shit, you know, um, we really need to do something about this instead it's like they choose they're they're silent and embarrassed and withdrawn about it instead because it's it's such a um embarrassment you know that i i almost and that's i guess that's what infuriates me is i feel like those people are fucking cowards you know it's interesting it's really pathetic it's like dude you were lied to and you're clearly embarrassed right now and you've and instead you've come up with some way to like not admit that you were lied to and that maybe even you were wrong for voting this man in like like be like brave and admit that yeah let's but move instead, on together let's 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 um you know cure ourselves together yeah. let's all accept what happened and move on and like heal each other and i don't think i've heard a single person say that i've just heard those people be silent and it's it's really it just kind of angers me because I don't think that, you know, even off after the, all these Snowden revelations, you know, it's exciting when we've reached this tipping point where people don't openly praise Obama anymore, but it really is ultimately meaningless because those people are just embarrassed and withdrawn. And the next like politician that they idolize comes along, they will come out and get behind him again. It's like, I do have to say one thing is that, um, you know, I was thinking the other day that the power of words and how Obama had such a great propaganda campaign and the whole hope and change thing and like the odd, just the just the phrase, the audacity of hope, even though it's really meaningless and like generic, it is a powerful phrase, especially when you're facing such a bleak fucking situation, which is like the world that we live in today. Like it is audacious to be hopeful for change. You know what I mean? And, and of course, those words are so now just hijacked. But I, I tweeted this out the other day. I was just like, you know, it's a shame that the that the coined phrase, the audacity of hope was was hijacked by the same man who's just crushed all hope for people for change in the inside from the bottom up or I'm sorry, the top down for change within the system is what I said. And then someone wrote back and they were like, I voted for Obama twice. And they said, and he made me realize that both parties are the completely same he said something really eloquent he said i voted for obama because i hated he said bush made me a democrat obama made me realize there's no difference and i really like that because he admitted you know and he just said i voted for him twice and i've realized the error of my ways and it's just like it's good to know that people are brave enough to talk about it and fundamentally i mean 
and and to say that there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats in a literal sense is obviously not true. But in a, in the fundamental sense of what they actually represent and what function they serve, it is true. The only right. difference between Republicans and Democrats is which political hot buttons they choose to touch and engage with in order to get campaign donations and political leverage and an extension on their careers that is their first and foremost priority everything else is like you know fourth ranked like fourth and fifth and for even further down the list so in that regard they all are the same and i mean there is no anti-war wing of either party i mean when it comes to almost every issue and yeah you could you know if you're if you're a liberal like you and i are you can get you know maybe excited or invigorated when um, you know, certain congressmen or or whatever, like come out for gay marriage or whatever, but none of them did it when it was risky. I mean, none of them, none of these or people, marijuana legalization. Yeah, no. Know? So it's like, what does that tell you? They are seen. They're waiting for their time to jump in that and what it will help them politically. Like that's all it is, and it's all it ever is. And it makes me sick to think that, you know gay groups or you know african-american groups get lulled into the that that when they try to do that because they are almost using yeah. gays and like democrats use gay and black populations in the same yeah, way that republicans use evangelical christians for votes and like political manpower like look at what happened with the duck dynasty thing like you know like so speaking of Duck Dynasty, I think this is actually a good point to wrap up this podcast because I, I, I know that we wanted to get into the Duck Dynasty distraction and, and like homophobia going on and um, the divide and conquer techniques going on in alternative media and also just the whole Glenn Grunwald, Pierre Omidyar controversy. And I think that's, that would be a great other episode for us to do. And I think that we it deserves our attention for a full episode. So let's end this right now because I just feel like it's a really good discussion so far. And let's uh, release the other discussion about all of those things later on. And about, you know, later this week, we'll get together. All right. Sounds well, good? Yeah, sounds good to me. And uh, everybody stay tuned because we are we are not... Um, um, <laughs> we, we don't mean to give you false hope because we are, we are seriously going to have another episode out very soon. Um because uh, this is one of those rare times of year where Abby and me are actually in the same room doing this. So. Yeah, we don't want people to think that we're like not, we don't have an opinion about obviously these really important things that are going on. Yeah, no, we have a lot to say about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, anybody who's going out there, you know, trying to put pressure on you for like not, you know, addressing certain things or whatever, it's, you know, it's like, you know, you have your own show and you do things at your own pace mm -hmm. you know? and we're, we're going to do that. We're going to yeah. release something about it very yeah, soon. Exactly. So. Everyone. Um, thank you so much for listening to media roots radio. Um, please donate to keep citizen journalism alive. Please contact info at mediaroots.org. If you're interested in submitting to the website, um, I have very limited time and I would really love if other people who were competent writers and, um, had something awesome to say that was able to contribute to the site and the content that we already have to get involved and I'll give you a login and you can add to the aggregate and be have your voice heard whether it be poetry music writing I mean all of this stuff we're totally open and um, you know it's just a really awesome project that I, I'm really happy is continuing and I really appreciate all the support from people and all the support from viewers of breaking the set um, you know, I think it's just really awesome that we're building this audience and that people are 
having the message resonate with them because I know that there's a void to be filled and I hope that we're trying to fill it a little bit with media roots and breaking the set. And I really appreciate people, uh, all the feedback and, and all the, um, the viewers. So thank you so much. And, uh, it's probably too late now, but, um, you have a lot of art for sale on abbymartin.org. A lot of new art. Everyone check out. Yeah, Robbie has a, a show. Um, yeah, I have a show coming up. I don't know if this will be out before then should, but, uh, I have a show coming up in San Francisco on the 28th. Um, we'll post some details on the Media Roots Facebook page. And also, um, if anybody out there likes the music that we play on the podcast, um, most of it's done by me, uh, maybe like 50% of it. And uh, I have a couple new albums coming out uh, right on the new year. Um, one of them is called Antique Electronic Music Synthesizer Greats. That's like a remix recontextualization of a lot of really old electronic music sounds from like old records and stuff um, mashed up making new songs out of them and then another one's actually kind of uh political it's like probably my first political album um and it's called the masonic assassination of william morgan <laughs> and we actually did a podcast about william morgan and um and uh, remember, remember the 11th of September, which is when he was uh, kidnapped from the jail. Um, Who the hell are you talking? Who's uh, William? We, is it you Freemason? probably remember we did an episode about the the sort of the roots of the anti-Masonic party and stuff. Right. He was the guy that was wrote a book about Masonic secrets. Who was kidnapped? Mm. Who was thrown in debtor's prison by a Masonic judge? Then when he went into jail, was kidnapped by Masons out of the jail under the watch of the Masonic policemen who were working the jail and taken uh, basically to like the Great Lakes and drowned somewhere. Don't fuck with the Masons. Bro. Yeah. And it happened on the uh, September 11th, which is kind of an interesting coincidence. Um, but everybody out there have a great time have with your awesome family. Have an awesome holiday. Everyone spend time with your family. Love and laugh and just uh, forget about all the tragedy going on in the world. Of course, listen to this podcast, certainly, but... You know, be positive and let's bring on the new year with a lot of great energy and um, we're going to change shit for the better. And keep fighting the war for Christmas because there's a war on Christmas <laughs> and it's very serious and we all need to give that support our troops in the war against the war on Christmas. I get so confused. We're on terror <laughs> yeah. war against Christmas. There's so many wars to fight. Um, thanks everyone. Happy holidays. Much love. We'll, we'll talk to you all soon. Peace.